Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. We're starting a new old book. It's, uh, it's new in that we have never covered it here before on Sunday, and it's old in that it's uh, one of Ernest Holmes' early works. So, so published in 1945, and he's done an interesting thing that, I, that I'm hoping that you'll enjoy. Uh, so often when there are commentators on the New Testament or on biblical sources, you know, you get that kind of effect of, well, here's what Jesus said, and here's what you should think about it. Do you know what I mean? It's someone doing the interpretation for you. And what I think is interesting about words that heal today is that instead of doing that, he really is giving you the code for interpreting some of the writings uh, in the New Testament yourself. So it's giving you a little bit of a key uh, so that you can do your own analysis of the words of Jesus. And so I think we'll have some fun with it this month. We start out with, first of all, the promise of the book. Does everyone know what the promise of a book is? So whether it's fiction or nonfiction, whether it's a a romance novel or, or whether it's a mystery, usually on the back, will be the incentive to buy it. <laughs> and I call that the promise, right? If it's, you know, if it's Tom Clancy, it'll be, you know, this is exciting and your heart will get pumping. And in the case of Ernest Holmes, maybe not quite that, uh, but I'd like to read a little bit of the foreword. So the foreword is from uh, Dr. Michael Beckwith, who has uh, one of the largest Science of Mind churches in the world. And, uh, and he had the honor of writing the foreword to the book. And I just want to read a little bit of it because I think it has a nice promise in it. He says, Jesus, the man fully awakened to the universal presence within with one hand in the hand of God and the other in the hand of humanity. Jesus performed his work commanding divine law from a consciousness of divine love. He taught the theology of joy, a spiritual philosophy about the unity of all life and how it can be permanently actualized within our own consciousness. Oh, there's a little bit of the the promise here. And then uh, finally, uh, Dr. Beckwith says, through his profound embodiment and practice of the truth teachings of the great way shower, Dr. Holmes himself experienced a spiritual realization. Words that heal today show us how to change our thinking and thereby change our lives. So, so there's the, the, the rest of the promise. And the first few chapters of this book, I think, are particularly important because they kind of set the stage. They kind of explain through a discussion of really what God is, um, how we can approach both the divine in terms of a devotional practice or in terms of us relating to our higher power, but then also how we can begin using that connection in a practical way on the planet. And he simply uh, divides it up. Ernest Holmes says it's about love and it's about law. And so let me read just the the beginning of this little bit from Ernest Holmes as he begins to talk about Jesus's teaching and in particular our, uh, our connection, if you will, to our higher power. He says it will be easier to understand the teachings of Jesus if we come to see two fundamental propositions of his philosophy. First, 
that God is spirit. God is infinite person. It's universal presence. This divine presence is the loving parent mind, present everywhere, just as life is present everywhere. The divine presence is itself warm, colorful, personal, immediately responding to us. And then he goes on to say, to this we should add the other great concept of Jesus, that the universe is also a government of law. If this were not so, the universe would be a vast chaos, perhaps filled with love, but chaotic nonetheless. (laughs) And so today we're going to talk about these twin concepts of love and law. And I've heard them phrased a number of different ways. If you've read a fair amount of Ernest Holmes, you'll realize he talks about this concept of love and law in a variety of his books. In one place, he talks about commanding divine law from a consciousness of divine love. And that's uh, the piece that, that Beckwith picked up. But he also talks about it in the Science of Mind textbooks as love points the way and the law gets it done. And so let's spend a few moments today talking about these two aspects, if you will, um, of God. So what does it mean, do you think, when uh, both Jesus or or Ernest Holmes, for that matter, uh, makes the claim that God loves us? I remember the first time that I read that, uh, I was kind of like, hmm, well, that's interesting and all. Um, But... But I think I was trying to think of it as though it were a human loving another human. And so I I think that was my downfall in not recognizing that there is a kind of divine love. And, And if we look beyond our own personal loving relationships with other people, that we can probably get a better sense of it. And, uh, and, and many of you know that in the, the New Testament, uh, Jesus generally refers to God as our Heavenly Father or the Father. And, and, and I think this is interesting, and, and I want to spend a moment talking about that, because in Science of Mind, we never refer to God as a He. You'll notice I'm, I'm really like a gender neutral kind of guy. I do not believe that there is a man on a golden throne that's looking down on us in some strange, creepy, paternal way, <laughs> getting, getting ready to lay down the law, right? And so that too, when I read this, it's like our divine father or whatever, I'm kind of going, oh gosh, are we really stepping back 35 years? But what I began to reason was that, uh, was that the concept of father was very different a couple thousand years ago. A couple thousand years ago, sadly, women were not allowed to have ownership of properties or businesses, and it was totally up to a peri- uh, uh, pe- Help me with the word. Patriarchal. Thank you. Uh, the father, the, the head of the household being a man, was not only responsible for his own children and his own, his own blood family, but the good ones were actually responsible for all kinds of, of servants and shirt-tail cousins and, and even people who were just homeless in the community. And so the idea of the father 2,000 years ago didn't mean really dad as it meant it, as much as it meant the loving provider of my extended family. 
And, and the, the men who weren't good at that actually were punished for it. There's all cases in, in ancient society who men, for men who were not good providers, who would not stand up for, um, uh, for providing uh, food and money and material goods for, for not only their own children and their own blood family, but for others less fortunate in the neighborhood, there were actually laws that prevented that. So, so after I began to read a little bit more, the idea of the, the father figure, not, not the typical, well, how did your dad treat you, right? Because we all have probably a mixed bag on how our earthly fathers treated us. But the idea was that um, really an archetype as the parental figure as always being love, always being support, always reaching out a hand to people in need, always someone that you could count on, and always someone who really would be there for you in a very visceral way. And so once I got used to the idea, really of this more as an archetype and not meaning to represent my father, oh my gosh, it made reading the New Testament a lot easier. And Ernest Holmes piggybacks on that and he says, that's the love. That if we ignore the idea of a, almost like a, a, a loving, nurturing parental figure, so often we might be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. That a big part of our connection to our higher power is love. Not just a, the mechanical nature of the law of knowing cause and effect and, and those kinds of things. And, and that really one of the primary teachings of Jesus was it's not just how to get things done. It's how you feel about it. It's how, how you uh, really blossom under the, the guidance and love of our higher wisdom self, of that, that greater self that is beyond just what we know about ourselves. And so I want to share with you a couple experiences of my own of really the, the love of God. And I'll, I'll take one from early childhood. So, um, so my parents weren't much for church going, but my, my grandmother had a notion that everyone should at least have an experience of organized religion. And, and, you know, if I wanted to change my mind when I was a teenager, that would be a great idea. But she thought it would be cool if we would go to church together on Sunday mornings. And I got to tell you, the Presbyterian Church in Newport, Oregon was pretty righteous for a little dude. We had fun <laughs> on Sunday mornings, right? We learned about all those Bible stories. And, and the teacher really was marvelous because she just left all the doom and gloom and, you know, fire and brimstone. You know, she just checked that in the hall. That's not for kids, right? The, you know, the minister may be punishing the adults with that. But, <laughs> but we're going to have our Sunday school as a pleasant, you know, a, a a lovely thing. And it was, it totally was. I was so captivated by the story of, you know, um, Goliath and David and, and just so many of the, the Bible stories that she brought to light. And what I remembered always was thinking truly how loving God was. That was my, my takeaway. And then, and then the afternoon, well, grandma and I would get in the car and we, every Sunday we'd go on an adventure. We would decide ahead of side, well, do you want to go to the beach today? Do you want to go, um, you know, to your favorite hamburger place? Do you want to go up by the river and catch crawdads? Uh, I mean, she was one of those grandmothers just filled with kind of fun and, and joy. And I remember just laying in the back of her car as we would be going to the beach or whatever. And I would just feel like I was held in the arms of love itself. 
Not only did I feel spiritually connected, and I suppose in my own seven-year-old way, right? I was kind of gluing God love and grandma love together. It's like, why not? That was my experience anyway of those afternoons was that I was completely protected, completely loved, that I had a lot of choice over what was going to happen, whether we were going to, you know, go to the beach or whether we were going to go crawdad fishing. I felt like the universe was there for me explicitly to enjoy and and that there was something greater than myself. In this case, mostly God with a little bit of grandma (laughs) was going to make sure that it happened. Oh my gosh, what a beautiful, beautiful image as a child that I had of God. All right, well, let's fast forward, say, oh, I don't know, 50 years. And, uh, and I'll tell you another experience that I had about 15 years ago, quite a different one, but bear with me. So I had never been so sick in my life. And, uh, and my impression is that every now and then they will release people from the hospital when they really should be holding on to them. Well, I think that was my case, because what I know was that it was kind of three days in the hospital, and well, that's what your insurance covers, you know, you're, you're good to go, and I spent the next three weeks in bed, and honestly, there was a period of about two or three days when I was pretty sure that I was just going to be dead. I really was, and I was living by myself, and I remember a couple days, I was too sick, literally felt like I was in too much pain and nausea to actually pick up the phone and dial 911 if I had wanted to. It was just the way things were, but I want to tell you, the first day when I realized how sick I was, and that I needed help, and that I was too sick to actually get up and go across the room to the phone this feeling of peace settled down on me. And I know it doesn't make sense. Uh, I I know that it's an experience that I really can't share with you in, in a way other than to say how I felt. It may not mean anything to you, but in that moment, I felt completely safe. I did not know what was gonna come next, but I knew that it was gonna be okay. I did not know whether I would survive But I knew that either way, things were fine, that things were in good hands. And I actually felt a calmness and a peace and a sense of being loved that perhaps I had not felt to that strength, to that degree, in a long time. And I know that these two stories glued together sound weird. They almost sound like, uh, how can these both be that same connection to the Creator? And yet they were for me. They absolutely were for me. They were that sense of someone having my back, of someone who would not let me down, someone who loved me unconditionally, whether, whether I was seven and with a whole lifetime ahead of me or whether I was near the end. I had the sense of someone providing for me and someone willing to show me what comes next in a way that was beautiful and loving. I want to experience that always. And I think that Ernest Holmes can help us with that a little bit. Those are a couple peak experiences. But I want to tell you that when I'm in my meditation daily or when I'm doing my prayers in the evening, sometimes when I'm journaling, when I'm doing other spiritual practices, that feeling of love comes back to me. 
And that's what I would suggest and want for everyone in this room. Because we can talk about the mechanics of how God works, and in fact, we're gonna in a minute, but I'm not sure that it even matters. If we still can't have that childlike sense of being adored, and that the world is truly for us, then I'm not sure that we're probably even praying for the right things. The other thing when we talk about God's love is the idea of love pointing the way. And that's when we begin loving others and our own lives the way God loves us. We almost don't need God's laws. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus did not play up the Ten Commandments a whole lot. Those are just a set of laws. If we act on the impulse of love, we almost don't need to have it laid down in laws. We're almost going to make the right decisions, whether they're listed out in some, uh, you know, some um, finite list of what it is and what it means. So let us move, though, now into the idea of God's law. And I managed to find, uh, actually, it's not a very good joke, uh, but, <laughs> but what can I say? <laughs> We're going to read it anyway, and maybe four of you will laugh, and that will be good enough. Supposedly, this is, by the way, is a true story uh, that happened in San Francisco when they first started putting up those, uh, those radar detectors that would automatically know how fast you were going and take a picture of you, right? Well, about, uh, about 15 years ago, I guess they started doing that in San Francisco. So a motorist was unknowingly caught in an automated speed trap. It measured his speed using radar, and it photographed him in his car. He later received in the mail a ticket for $120. Yeah, well, you know it was 15 years ago. The <laughs> ticket was $120 and a photo of his car. Well, the motorist was a little pissed off by this whole new radar system. So instead of a payment, he sent the police department a photograph of $120. <laughs> <laughs> Several days later, he received another letter from the police department. This time it contained the copy of his $125 ticket and another photo, this time of handcuffs. <laughs> so I have good news and I have bad news for you. <laughs> God's law kind of works the same way. Now, the good news is you can always count on it, right? You don't have to worry about whether the policeman has the radar gun angled wrong, and you don't need to worry about whether it's calibrated or not. It's just a machine, <laughs> and it's going to take the picture. And in the same way, God's law is all about cause and effect. So let me talk to you a minute about the idea of God's law. It was probably one of the greatest gifts that God gave to us is, of course, our free will. But to keep our free will from going kind of riot in the world, there was a little string attached to our free will, and that is what we sow is what we reap. What, what's going on in our mental frame of mind, our, our mental causes, will outpicture in the world back to us as what our life is going to be. So, so Jesus, the master teacher, called it, um, basically, it is done unto you as you believe. 
So what you believe on the cause side of your own mentality will outpicture, it will be done unto you um, in the real world. So how does this law work? Well, it's pretty easy. That which we hold to be true and, and uh, believed and, and, and well formulated in our mind is what we can expect to see in the world. And that's, of course, the primary teaching also of science of mind, that as we see it in our mind, we begin to see it in the real world. So if we see in our mind, if our, our mentality of life is one of love and joy and peace and harmony, you can expect that your life will exhibit those qualities. You'll, you'll have a blessed life full of love and joy and peace. If, on the other hand, we tend in our own mind to imagine that the world is a dangerous place filled with, with people that are out to get us or to benefit from us, if we somehow believe that the, the world is full of struggle and we have to just work so very hard just to barely squeak a living out, that too then will be done unto us as we believe. Yikes. So how do we approach these twin ideas and love and law? Because I think Ernest Holmes' message certainly is that we have to be even-handed about this. It isn't about 100% love and it isn't about 100% law. If we start treating the world just as cause and effect, all of the, all of the humor fades out, all of the, the love is diminished, all of the ability to really connect with people and sense one another and be kind to people often drops away into just a formula of what I should have done. And likewise, if we spend 100% of our time in love, and I probably don't need to tell anyone here, you can get into a lot of trouble if it's just <laughs> love. As much as we know that love propels the entire world, as, as much as we know it's the highest form of God, love without some kind of rules, right, also provides havoc in our lives. So I think this balance for me, and, and I'll speak really personally right now, I think it's about a 50-50 proposition in my own life. When I make my decisions, always, if I can, based on love, but aware that my decisions are part of cause and effect, I always have good outcomes. If my heart starts me out saying, no, what, what love would do in this situation is, you know, hiring this employee, or what love would do in this situation is going to counseling with my partner, what love would do in this situation is when I can clearly articulate the position of love in a, in a given situation, and then I also say, oh, and if I plant this seed, what will come from it? If I do those two things, my life is just pretty dreamy. And when I look back at some of the struggles that I've had over the last few years since I've kind of discovered this formula, I gotta lay it on one of those two things not working out. Either I was just being wishful hopeful and not realizing that being an idiot now and then produces idiotic circumstances, <laughs> or I wasn't actually taking the time to say, what would love do right now? And instead I was working from that ego perspective and saying something like, what could be done now to earn more money? Or what could be done now so that my idea of how things should work will prevail? 
Not that we ever do that, right? <laughs> Have you ever found yourself with someone that you truly care about in one of those like arguments where it's about whose, whose opinion is going to win? It's like, that's not love. And yet I see that going on all the time, sadly, in my own life now and then. It isn't about who's on top or who's on first, right? What would love do in this circumstance? So I have just a few words in closing today. The summary, and these are pretty much right out of the book. First of all, on the love side, love is the most important power in the universe. Love truly is the guideline for our living. Love is personal, and the more personal, the more we can feel that sense of love from our divine creator. The, the more personal God is to us, the more powerful we can expect our connection and the fruits of it to be. On the law side, law is mental creating the physical. Law is always from the inside out. Law is a tool that we can actually use by recognizing where our thoughts are going. Where our thoughts are going, we too shall end up going. So if it's in our heart to be spiteful and angry, to be, uh, I don't know, overly obsessed with, with money or lack, we can expect our lives to go that way. And when our, our thoughts are going in the way of, uh, of love and joy, of peace and harmony, then we can expect just to see a life equally filled with those concepts. So I'm going to close with a, a final uh, reading from here and the tiniest bit of homework. Um, you might say to me, well, how can you do homework on love and law? And uh, my homework is subtly devious. We're going to talk more, more, well, okay, I guess it's not so subtle now. I blurted it out, but uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about God's law later in the month. I want to focus this week, if you're willing, on God's love. And so your homework, if you're willing, is either a kind of a journaling exercise or a contemplating exercise what is your relationship with God like? How do you view God in your own life right now? And if you would like to improve that relationship, how would you go about doing it? So a little bit of a contemplation or journaling exercise, if you're willing. What is your relationship to God like right now? And if you'd like to improve it, if you'd like to be able to sense that love more or feel that support more, what kinds of things might you do to improve it? All right, on to our closing quote. The treasure of life is already buried deep within our being, seeking and finding, asking and receiving, giving and getting. This is the law of life itself. Jesus, the way shower, the revealer of God, was an explorer of man's divinity. The two central themes of his teaching were love and law, both that impersonal and that personal. The divine spirit flowing through everything incarnated in our own lives and that automatic reaction of the law of cause and effect as justice without judgment, as punishment without viciousness, and reward without partiality. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life and one goodness, one, one sweet interaction with my higher power, this higher power that I call God. 
not some, uh, some crazy guy on a golden throne, but, but rather that indwelling sense of connectedness, of, of love, of support, of sweetness. That seven-year-old Larry claims in this present form all of those from God, full support, love, intimacy, that sense of belonging and support. That is my God. And so for today, what I claim uh, beyond myself and in this room is perhaps a willingness to expand everyone's idea of what God is, that, that warmth that exists to be felt, that, that sense of being in the right place and being in particular uh, just favored and loved, that sense of having someone that is always there to, uh, to help Someone who is always there to give the, the gifts of, uh, of life and health. And so this week, as we go about this week, I offer up that idea for each of us to begin noticing in places and in ways where God is on our side, where life is here to support us, where the goodness and the faith and the sweetness of life cannot be denied. And as we notice it, I know that it grows. As we pay attention to it, I know that we also give it to other people. As we revel in it, as we hold it close to it, our life becomes that very love, that very light, that very life. And so it is in great gratitude that I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.